The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out Hi, my name is Andrea Ross, your host for Talent Talk Asia, brought to you by The Career Establishment, a team building, leadership development and e-learning company. I'm joined for an exclusive conversation with Garrett Bucard, Managing Director, Southeast Asia at Robert Waters. After graduating in Belgium, he launched into recruitment as a front office recruitment consultant in Geneva, Switzerland, before embarking on an international career with Michael Page and Robert Waters. That career has spanned over seven countries across Asia, Today, we tap into his experiences and current challenges managing one of the biggest recruitment firms in Asia. He'll share his insights on how Robert Waters have responded to the recent pandemic, the fundamental differences of recruiting in less mature markets, his insights on how to build a high-performing business and what he's most looking forward to in 2020. Hi, Garrett. How are you today? Excellent. Excited to do this and uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast today. You're so welcome. And I realise that we actually have never, ever met, even though we've you're working at Robert Waters and I used to work there for, for, for a long time, but we ne- our paths never crossed. Exactly. I think we just miss, missed out a few years ago on uh, yeah. having that opportunity to meet. Yeah. yeah. So it's nice to finally meet you. I actually spoke to a, a search firm in Thailand yesterday um, and they mentioned your name and everyone that seems to mention you always says you're a nice guy. So you are you a nice guy? Is this like a standard thing? Do you get this a lot? Yeah, I think the most nice honest uh, the most honest uh, answer will come from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Is that before or after she she gives birth to her second child? Uh, well, let's, <laughs> let's see, see tomorrow. Um, so we have a, a little one on the way tomorrow. So uh, let's see what she says tomorrow in the delivery room. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Right, let's kick off. I may not pronounce some of um, the Belgium uh, names particularly well. Me and accents don't quite mix. But so you're originally from Belgium. You you went to Coulevin University in Flanders in Belgium and you studied social and political science, Science that sounds quite interesting, and then went on to study a master's in general management at Vlerik, is that correct pronunciation, yeah. business school? Yeah. yeah. Um, what motivated you at that time to pick that route of study and what was your dream job back then? Yeah, so um, my, my first studies were indeed uh, political science. Um, yeah. And basically when I was around 17, 18 years old, I was... Uh, uh, let's say quite idealistic um, yeah, in that right. way, yeah. Uh, and I wanted to yeah. change the world. My dream was to work for NGOs or the UN. Um, was it really? Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh! Wow, yeah, that's yeah, a little yeah. bit different and, uh, from what you're doing now. <laughs> and uh, actually, in between uh, the two studies, there's a there's a, a um, two years in between. I actually worked for an NGO. 
um, working on okay. uh, the, the rebuilding of the Balkans, uh, ex-Yugoslavia, basically. And So you um, did actually go and do that then? Yes, so you, exactly. Right, yeah. okay. Uh, but uh, there was a bit of, a, let's say, a bitter taste to that because uh, I don't know if you know the NGO world quite well, but, you know, Unfortunately for them, uh, it's all about finance and getting grants from yeah. the Uni- European Union mm-hmm. or, or, or other organizations. And so there's a lot of focus on keeping the organization afloat, whilst actually they should focus on the, the, the real topics they're working on. Um, so for that reason, I basically decided to maybe uh, look at um, a business education where I could then maybe learn from that and then bring that back to NGOs or, or, or institutions such as the United Nations. So that's so that sort of sense of purpose then in terms of kind of that feeling when you're at university, has that still stayed with you though in terms of yeah, like your personal life or through work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I, I think uh, one day I will return to that world. Um, <laughs> okay. Or maybe do it as a, let's say, a, a side project. Um, but I'm still uh, involved in, in a number of uh, organizations. So um, I've always had that since I was a, a young kid. Um, so, yeah, that, that sense of, of purpose and care that definitely is, uh, is strong with me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really that's really nice to hear, actually. Um, so, so your first job was with Michael Page in Geneva. Right. Oh, I yep. love Geneva. Oh, um, as a specialist on the front office banking side. So, what was the reason for kind of getting into recruitment at that point? Well, um, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend at that time was working for the United Nations. She had a one-year contract in Geneva. Wow. So that's the reason why we uh, were that looking took at Geneva. You there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I was looking for a job. I, I just graduated from that. Uh, master so uh, as a fresh grad on the market um, in Switzerland there's only a few opportunities um, and I had two options basically um, I could start a job at Procter & Gamble as a business analyst uh, on the uh, shaving blades division um, <laughs> and as I was looking for a job obviously um, I, I contacted a few recruiters and one of them was uh, Michael Page and okay. um, as, as you know, things work in recruitment, all of a sudden you end up with a proposal and uh, that was to join their um, front office team in Geneva. So um, you wouldn't so, have known anything about banking right at that, at that no, point? No, not at all. No. Well, um, okay. <laughs> so um, basically, um, I had a choice of uh, working for an FMCG player uh, or working with humans in uh, recruitment. Um, and I thought that humans are a bit more complex than, than shaving blades. Um, and, and <laughs> I was so you went for that route? Yeah, exactly. And, and during my studies, I did an internship at Adico, um, blue collar workers for factories, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so right. basically, um, it, it was that, that choice, what do I do uh, with the rest of my career? Um, or do I go in that direction or that direction? And obviously, the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. So did you have to kind of, you know, how did you go about trying to learn the front office banking side? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of private banking, obviously, in Geneva. Um, so it's it's not overly complex. Um, it's wealth right. management. However, yeah, what I found on the market is that there's a lot of um, trading companies, so commodity trading companies yes. um, in Switzerland. So uh, in those days, 60% of the world oil and gas was traded through uh, Geneva. Um, okay. And you have big players such as Cargill and uh, Bunge. And, and yeah. basically, they were looking for analysts as well. Um, so I moved a lot of people around from mostly quant uh, analysts. Um, oh, God, from, I've done quants. God, they're CERN, hard work. Um, the Glider, yeah, where you had a lot of uh, Russian mathematicians. And uh, basically, oh I transferred them God, into... Oh, my God, how interesting. Yeah, it was a very interesting world. Yeah, That absolutely. must have been really fascinating. I did a lot on the quant side, but more sort of Chinese quants. But Russian quants, gosh, about that yeah. was... Did, did you have to, like, play chess? while you were doing candid interviews with them? Well, actually, some of my candidates were uh, vice uh, champion of chess in CERN. So, 
And um, wow. yeah, they, they would say things like, um, uh, Garrett, in how many dimensions can you think uh, before I explain what I do? Uh, and um, I oh. said probably three. And they could think in nine dimensions, and that, that surpassed a bit my level of intelligence. But uh, wow. you know, end of the day, um, they were happy to to do something completely different than the pure physics or, wow. or, or plasma energy that they were involved. Yeah, with. yeah. I, I actually do find that quite fascinating that particular area. And I suppose you know, Geneva wasn't a, a you know wasn't a bad place to live, was it? Absolutely you not. Know, it's, it's not really a hardship posting, was it? Really? No, it's not. <laughs> God damn it! Oh, the thought of Switzerland right now. Oh. So we're just over a year at Michael Page. You moved on. I then yeah. came back 12 months later. So what was the trigger for the initial move away and what sort of enticed yes. you to return? So um, at that point, there was two things that uh, were working at the same time. One, uh, the contract of my girlfriend ended at the United Nations. Okay. And at the same time, we had a global financial crisis hitting us. And as oh. you know, in the uh, front yes. office, that's not yes. the, the best place to be sometimes when there's yeah. a crisis. Um, so uh, financially, we couldn't uh, stay in Switzerland. Um, decided to move back to Belgium, where we were both from, um, and uh, from there on, I worked for a French company that does um, engineering outsourcing. Uh, but I stayed in touch with uh, the Page Group, and then uh, Nicholas, who's currently the MD of uh, Page in um, India, uh, gave me a call. He was running an office in Antwerp with about 10, 15 recruitment consultants, and asked me to join them there. Um, what was so Nicholas's I, uh, surname? Nicholas Dumoulin. Right. Okay. Okay. So he was, was he there throughout all the time that you were in India then? He, he was based um, in India. No, no. He was based in Antwerp in Belgium first. Right. Um, and then I went to India first. And then he, he came to India probably two years after I, I left India. Right. Got it. And what, I mean, wow. When he proposed the opportunity for India, like what was your thoughts at that point? Well, it was not. Um, it was a global um, email that went out that uh, Page wanted to launch India. Um, they were looking from all continents for managers, um, so you could put your hand up, and then there was a selection process. And wow. um, uh, I was fortunate to be part of that. Um, and for me, it's probably been the biggest learning uh, I've ever had in my career. I can um, imagine. At that time, I was single, um, so uh, the girlfriend that I spoke oh, about. Before oh, you dumped no the girlfriend. Oh. Uh, well, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> oh. <not> dumping, but <laughs> um, she wasn't say, a fan of India to go to India this time. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I had the opportunity um, uh, to do something else, and after I think it was three years uh, back in Belgium, I wanted to uh, spread my wings and uh, do something completely different. Um, so the um, the job basically was in India to launch a, a HR division from scratch, um, build it up um, to six to eight fee earners, make sure it's profitable in the first year, and try and get a, a successor in place. Um, so very fast uh, track. Um, I've had to learn how to train people very fast. Um, every month I had a new starter in my team. And of Gosh, course, trying you? to balance that with, uh, um, you know, keeping profitability up there. And That's interesting. Uh, myself. I'm, yeah. I'm keen to know, when you first landed in India with that office, was there other disciplines there already? Yeah, um, they, the, the initial launch team was on the ground, I think, for about six to eight months. Um, so they had uh, an FS team and um, comp finance. Right. Um, and they were launching themselves marketing. Um, and it was two offices. So I was part of the Mumbai office. So they did the same thing in, in, in Delhi, basically. Right. So was there someone overseeing that? that office then or was it just all managers yep. that reported into yes, the Antwerp I, guy I believe yeah um, the MD at that time was a lady called Tulika um, oh yes I remember her yeah, a, yeah she was doing Singapore yes. as well wasn't she yeah yes, I think she's Singapore. in Singapore then, still mm. 
Yeah, and she um, uh, she's Indian, so it's um, it, yeah. that made Indian probably the, Swiss, the though, move easier to, to do that launch. Isn't she Indian Sorry? Swiss? Like, isn't she Indian Swiss? Like, there's she's not just pure yes, Indian. Yes, there's, is a, she? there's she... a mix. Uh, yeah, yeah. A mixed passport, I think. Yeah, I seem to remember there was so much different. So, so you, so when you landed on the HR division then, and you had to build it up to six to eight fee earners, and you had new starters coming on. What was the how did you sort of, I'm probably going ahead on my questions, but how did you go about one, trying to find the right talent that would fit in India? Because I can appreciate it's probably quite different. And yeah. What was the process as you went well, through to make that success? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in India, there's a heavy uh, focus on um, campus recruitment. Um, so a lot of people, oh. BA. Um, so you get the opportunity to go in. So we traveled around India to um, the IIMs and the um, XLRI, which is more focused on on, on HR. Um, oh, and so right. you stay two days on campus. Um, mm -hmm. They get the opportunity to meet you. Obviously, we were a quite exotic uh, new uh, potential <laughs> employer for them. Um, I would say that at that point, uh, recruitment was uh, more a domestic market. Um, right. We were one of the first international companies there, and right. of course, it's it's it was um, you know for people uh, a new new and exotic uh, type of profession. Yeah. Um, so I would say probably seventy percent of the people we hired um, we, we 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 hired directly off campus. Yeah. And when you're saying off campus, these are degree or master holders, or both. These are uh, MBA holders, so people MBA who have um, either oh worked gosh. before. Yeah. Um, they're probably the most overqualified or, to do recruitment then aren't they they're kind of <laughs> absolutely very smart people um but you know um, a lot of them have now ended up in singapore um so i think from my uh, original team in india oh, really? there's probably 80 percent uh, working in either recruitment in uh, singapore or who have launched their own businesses um, oh so, so not all come um, to not all come to so wait a minute, we're Michael Page, we're not Robert Waters so are they did they stay with Michael Page or did they move um, did lots some of them, of them did Okay. Uh, and then, um, but then uh, ventured out. So at the moment, we have people working at Facebook. Um, we have people awesome. working still in the recruitment industry. So um, yeah, when I came to Singapore, um, I, I met up with uh, with a few of them. Uh, nice. Still a few to meet because of COVID, of course. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's really good to nice. see the old the old team. Um, I love to hear that. I love thriving. to see that, that you've given opportunities to people and you've seen that they've gone on to do different things and different, you know, and progress their careers. That's really nice to hear. I'm really keen yeah. to know when you first hired them. Obviously, they're smart, but not necessarily commercially savvy because they've not necessarily worked in recruitment and know that whole recruitment side. What was the, did you have to kind of just plug into the usual kind of core one, core two training? I think Michael Page had the same thing, right? How did you go about training and getting them up to speed? Because, you, you know, you were hiring quite a lot of people. Yes, exactly. Well, we had we had a very strong. Um, we knew that we, this was going to happen, so we went from I think eight people to fifty people in the Mumbai office. In one Berlin five one or five zero. Um, five zero. Jesus. In what what so period of time? One year. <laughs> so there was pretty much so, a new face every time you went in on a Monday. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was uh, always big batches. But, you know, we, wow. we were all experienced managers. Um, we had a, a, a very organized training schedule. Um, but, you know, the, the, the advantage of when you hire smart people is that, you know, you explain it once and, and most of them pick it up quite fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The commercial side, yes. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more consultative sales anyway. So um, it's it's it, it was fairly easy because the guys were, were very uh, quick on their feet. Let's put but it I imagine way. it was hands on training, though, right? In terms of, right, we're Absolutely. going out to a client, come and follow me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but what were the challenges? I'm keen to know because I'm sure people are listening and thinking, oh, we'll go down that route. We'll hire a few MBAs. And I've had experiences where it doesn't always work out as well, hiring, hiring really, really smart ones. So, and that sounds 
sort of a little bit um, um, discriminatory. But what challenges would did you face with people that didn't have necessarily the recruitment experience but were more um, academic? Um. Well, we, we obviously focused on the more uh, commercial profiles within um, uh, the, the the campus recruits. Um, right. I think the main challenge is yes, it's it, our job tends to be quite process driven. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of them thought it would have been more, let's say, um, let's let's build business plans and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, do cash that's just strategy for that client meeting next exactly. week. Yeah, yeah, that's what so you think you about that five year to, plan. Yeah, yeah, you definitely had to challenge them at the on the intellectual level. Um, mm. But you know, um, not everybody stayed. But of course, when when in India you go and do business development and you tell your client that you come from business school ABC, it, it is recognized and yeah, um, it, it does open doors. Um, mm. So definitely, I mean that that gave them a, a competitive advantage. Um, things started to move f- fairly fast. Yeah. Um, so so that that whole connection of you still there, I study there. That seems to be yeah. working very interesting. well. Interesting, in yeah, really interesting. Yeah. It may, I mean, I suppose it works to a certain level here when it comes to maybe you know the guys that have done national service and they're in the same batch, or you know, it's it's those connections, isn't it, that that help that common common ground. So India Absolutely. must have been really exciting and vibrant. Um, what were the biggest challenges at that time for you, and how did you go about overcoming them? Um, yeah, I think it, it was. You know, when when you work in Europe in a more let's say well um, slower market than India, um, yeah. you get a new consultant every let's say six months. Um, yeah, so definitely tough. that. How did you dedicate enough time so they don't fall into the you know the pitfalls that you normally uh, fall into as 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 a young recruiter? Um, how do you make sure that um, you know you keep developing each? Or each individual um, as, at, at the same quality as you would have somebody coming in every six months. Um, and definitely that that was a challenge. I think another challenge was more on the personal level. Um, I was single at that time, um, <laughs> uh, but finding a girlfriend uh, was not the easiest one. Um, really? Oh, I don't believe no. it for a second. Well, yes, but uh, you know, it, it was more traditional, uh, the dating scene there. Um, was it? Was so it I really? Went two times, yes, I went two times on a date and uh, each time it was with either a cousin or a brother. <laughs> Um, which is, is you know, for me was a bit different, a bit more exotic. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was uh, definitely one of the, let's say, personal challenges. I think um, I, I loved living in, in, in Mumbai, um, but for a long-term perspective for me, um, I think um, I was destined to, do, to, to live in other places. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I think hats off to you. I think, you know, for people coming from Europe and to, to work in a place like India versus the easy posting like Singapore, um, I think that must have been a huge challenge. So the fact that you also achieved what you did within the office and living there, I think that's, I think that's really awesome. You said um, how the, one of the challenges was developing staff um, and being able to do that in a very quick period of time. How did you juggle that from a time perspective? Did you have to give up a few things personally or time-wise? Or did you find, that, you know, what, what did you do to be able to achieve that? Yeah, I think organization uh, of your time is, is key there. Um, and I, I'm quite logical. Um, so I, I had that in my DNA a bit, but that definitely India forced me to, to go stronger on that. Um, right, so you and, into that. you know, right. in, in, in that recruitment market, look, when, when you uh, post um, a vacancy of, for example, HR director, overnight you will have in between 500 to 700 applications. Oh my gosh. Um, so the first two to three hours of your day is scrolling through um, resumes. 
and resumes are not two pages it's often 10 to 15 pages um, so to, to really you know try and select the quality on the market um, is not an easy one um, mm. so that was probably the, the first three hours of the day so um, screening as mm. people have to mm. travel a lot in, in Mumbai is not easy traffic then you do you would do your team meeting um, or your setup of the day of the, the consultants and then in the afternoon you go on client meetings and that was another challenge of course where the local market believed in a in, in a one month two month fee type of setup um, so 8.33% oh, really? for one month yeah and 16.66 oh, really? for senior work um, and obviously we went in at, at a higher percentage so it was a lot about educating the market um, did you achieve that get... did you did you achieve that by cha- yeah, by I going think... in on that on, on the rates I you know I can appreciate well what you did. obviously obviously um, um, our Indian friends are very good negotiators <laughs> not always <laughs> from the first go um, but um, I, I think the um, it's all about building that trust and say, okay, well, I'll follow your rhythm. I'll do a 16.66 for the first time. But once you've seen the service and levels of or, or the service levels that we, we provide and, you know, um, the next time is going to be at full price. And I think, right. you know, so that, they that, see that, the that service. is often the way you, yeah, you need to mm-hmm. negotiate. Um, I think um, when we started, the clients were expecting us to send about 20, 25 CVs. We only sent five. Right, um, so there which was, was unusual debate for them. Of, mm. Why are you sending me less CVs uh, compared but for a higher fee? Interesting. Um, so how we navigate through that is a lot about, okay, well, we select the best ones in the market. And, yeah, we just saved you, know, you a whole day of work that, of going through them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the role of a recruiter is really providing them with the best, not just, you know, spray and pray and, and, and dump 20 CVs on your client's Absolute, desk. Um, absolutely. That's what they're going to pay. So what I'm interested to know on that negotiation side is – when you went in on the rate that they initially wanted and you had to then for the second hire um, go back to your, your rates, did that get achieved? Did they did they honour that agreement? Yes, I would say in most cases, but as usual with, with, with clients, you, you would have clients that negotiate on the fee afterwards as well. Um, right. Was that quite a know, challenge then, Garrett? Do you find, I mean, it, it's it, it, more I would so say with international here. companies, it was less so. Um, yeah. With with often more domestic businesses, you, you'd have to uh, go and renegotiate after you send out your invoice. Oh my um, god, that's so and tiring sometimes and frustrating. Sometimes you have to go and collect your check and sit in the in the in the office on the Friday afternoon at four p.m. and refuse <laughs> to leave without getting a check. Um, <laughs> but that was only on rare occasions, and uh, oh no, most most god. clients actually were honouring the agreement. But you know, you have, you always have a few. Uh, I think Singapore is of course very different in that where you know people people tend to pay on time and yeah, you know, they're pretty honour their commitment as well. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I think mm. I think that's that's obviously different. But you know. Um, in, in, in certain cultures, negotiations is part of life. Uh, I think that's really and, interesting. I mean, I, and it I, sharpens I, your yeah. commercial ability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's also, I suppose, for recruiters there, whether they're Indian or not, is being quite creative and innovative with the options that you're presenting. Because we know in recruitment, absolutely. that's a good thing about recruitment is that your fee models, your guarantee periods, your payment terms, all of that can be can be creatively structured. You know, it doesn't have Absolutely. to always follow the same format every time. That's what's quite wonderful mm-hmm. about the industry. So what were your aspirations for that role then when you got in there to India? I know you said that like, you wanted six to eight people within a year and you needed to train them all up. You know, did that materialize? Did you achieve that goal? Yeah, I think, yeah, well, ups and downs, of course, as usual. Um, yeah. I think the overall goal was there. Um, I think um, um, after that, um, 
I mean, at the end of the year, we had an evaluation and 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 we were happy with what what has been done. Um, and the question came: Okay, Garrett, what do you want to do? Do you want to go back home? Um, uh, do you want to stay in India, which was their preferred option? Um, okay. Or do you want to go elsewhere? Um, and I said I'd like to stay in Asia, but not necessarily um, in India. Mm-hmm. And what I would like to do is do the opposite of um, of India in terms of the spectrum of recruitment. Um, is go to the the most candidate dry markets. So going from India, where you have an abundance of candidates, um, yeah. to the most candidate dry market, and and that's how I ended up basically in uh, in Japan. Wow, fantastic! This is Tokyo, I gather. Because I know yes, you're in Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that was those are the reasons. So that was a really completely different spectrum. That's really interesting. How did you find the move to Japan? How did you find working there? Um, work-wise, I mean, it's 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 you know when you work for a global conglomerate, um, there, there's a DNA that is there, uh, which I recognised. Um, I think um, the ja- the Japan office was. Um, a lot bigger, a lot more structured at that time. It's it's a very mature recruitment market, quite competitive, mm-hmm. but you know good practices on the market. Um, and it's it's just about learning the lay of the land, so to speak, uh, when you yeah. go in in the first few months, yeah. um, and and then trying to adapt yourself. So you know, establishing client trust in Japan is a big one. Um, so you won't get a job in your first meeting normally, but it, you know after two three meetings they they will start trusting you, and um, and then the getting a job is, is relatively easy. Um, however, let, candidates is, is the biggest challenge in Japan. Um, let me go back to that trust. Why, let me go back to that trust yes. piece before you go into that can, that candidate side. When you're saying for one meeting, it's just a hello, you're not going to get much from it. What did you have to do in the second, third meeting and in between to accelerate that trust then? What did you have to, yeah. to be doing? Well, I think showing that you're genuinely interested in their business and that you have... Um, you know, the best interest for them as well and, and that you believe in a long-term partnership, uh, not a quick one-off. Um, okay. and, and and I think, yeah, uh, it's it's really soft relationship building. It's not your hardcore sales mm. people that do well there, I think. Um, it tends to be um, the, the, the more introverted uh, recruiters that fare well there um, okay, because they, they have a softer approach. Um, interesting. And, and, and it's really showing the client that, you're willing to, to go the long the long way with them, um, or at least between the companies. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. On the candidate side, you you were saying that obviously it's a candidate short market. Talk talk me through how you adapted to that change to to be successful in that kind of market. Yeah, I mean when you when you meet a candidate, if you have the luxury to meet them. Um, then they right. <laughs> would rarely be open. Uh, first of all, they're very loyal to their employer. Of course, there's 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 a mm. whole um, uh, different way of looking at what work means to a, an employee, um, and how that relationship works between the employer and, and the employee. Um, so, um, when you have somebody looking out for a job, um, you can rest assured that you know other companies are offering a lot of jobs. So, right, um, okay. Uh, so the management when you had a candidate, mm. absolutely. When you had a candidate on the offer. On average, they would have two, three other offers, uh, right. sometimes more. Okay. Um, and often, um, yeah, it's 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 how your connection with the candidate is that might determine uh, the better outcome for yourself. So there's a lot of work done on the on the candidate side. Yep. So more was there was there the also a big side. emphasis that they would get bought back? That there'd be a counter offer as well, in or not so much? Do they make the commitment yeah. and go, or are they swayed quite easily? 
there, there were a few cases, but I think um, once they commit to a new employer, um, they stick to their word. Um, so okay. personally, um, I, I've never really encountered a lot of counter offers, okay. but there were some colleagues of mine who, who, yeah, who definitely had that. Okay, because it is that whole management side, isn't it? When the counter offers tend to happen, it's there's something along that yeah. that process is, that's kind of been missed. So you moved into the finance team for Japan for Michael yes. Page, correct? So how did you then transition from doing Okay, we did. You did front office, then you went to do HR, and now you're doing finance. So all the compliance and reg- yeah. well, regulatory reporting. I mean, how how did you find that transition? Well, actually, if I go back a bit, in Belgium, I was doing three years of finance and accounting recruitment. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So I knew the space well from a European point of view, basically. Okay. But, uh, it's fairly similar, um, though, is it? Or is there, was so, there a few changes? Yeah, I mean, finance, finance across the globe is not that yeah. different. Um, yeah. What is different, though, is that the candidates in finance and accounting in Japan, because they don't go too often, uh, too often to interviews, um, are, are, let's say, a bit... Um, um, rusty in their interview skills so for example what we had to do is before a candidate goes to an interview we definitely had to prep them so and often the preparation of a candidate would take an hour and a half wow um, just to make sure that they have the right posture the, the good you know non-verbal communication wow. um they yeah you, you had to prepare questions with them do role plays um, i was gonna ask did you do then, role plays that'd be kind of cool yeah absolutely yeah and 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 you know Canada's loved it because because they were not used to it. Um, it's it's like for example, you would do a podcast for the first time. You're quite nervous. Um, maybe you don't know exactly what to do. Um, so we we really lowered that stress to give them the best chance to to do a uh, you know a good run in the interview. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Is that was that quite common amongst other recruitment firms, or is that quite unique to, um, to in the team Payne? I was working in? Definitely, <laughs> it was quite u- um, quite unique. Yeah. Yeah, um, okay. I think a lot of other companies realize that, you know, you can increase your chances of having a successful candidate um, uh, by doing so. Um, not all uh, companies did it, uh, but definitely I think in the the bigger uh, ones would, would definitely put a lot of emphasis on uh, I, candidate. I love uh, that. I, I, I'm a big believer on that whole preparation side. I think sometimes recruiters kind of assume candidates know you know, they, they know the star technique or they, they, they're aware of their body language. And, you know, not everyone interviews every day, right? They, you know, some, someone may not have interviewed for a few years. Perhaps it, there is a bit of a skill to be, to be successful at that. So I love the fact yeah, I, that that's offered as a service. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, how I, how I explain it to my team is like, okay, imagine you've been married for 10 years and you divorce um, and then you have to go back on the dating scene. The first oh, few dates will be as oh smooth, I think, as, that's a great, as, as before. So that's, that's a that great example. seems to have worked. Yeah, you got you got to swipe as opposed to, you know, meeting yes, someone exactly. in a bar. Oh my God. Oh, the world God. has changed. Make, makes me feel ill just thinking about it. Um so you worked for so you've worked for two of the global recruitment giants. So in 2013, you joined Robert Waters, which is obviously yep. where you are now. Now, what it, what was it in Robert Waters' pitch that captured your imagination and tempted you to switch? Because there's that massive rivalry between Robert Waters and Michael Page. Always, it's kind of you know the other side, the dark side. So what was it that they said that motivated you to move? Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Um, well, I was, I was at a point where 
I guess um, I've 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 traveled. I've been very grateful to 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 Paige, of course, to to offer me these things. Yeah. But what I was missing a bit was that um, emerging market speed uh, that I picked up in India. Um, Japan was you know slower um, back to the old European speed, so to speak. Okay. And it okay. was of course a, a quite top-heavy office. Um, so that was. One, and you know, the second point for me was that in Japan, I tend to be um, more of an extrovert. Um, and I felt that, you know, I was a bit loud for Japan. Uh, I didn't really <laughs> I, w- fit I wouldn't in, have lasted uh, five minutes culture. then, would I, in Japan? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that was two things. Um, okay. And then a number of um, my old colleagues started working for Walters, seemed to be very happy. Um, in Asia? So, you or? know, I was a bit, re- yes, in Asia. In I was Asia, a bit reluctant okay. to, um, to actually, um, you know, start the chat. But then um, I was um, having just, a, you know, a first conversation with Matt Bennett, who was running um, Great China. Bennett. And then uh, Mark Elwood. Um, love and, Mark you know, Elwood. the contact was good. <laughs> um, it was, uh, it was you know, something different, something new. Um, and, you know, the offer they made basically could not uh, be matched by, you know, a page at that time. And, and, and there's no no disrespect there at all. Um, no, but it just different. felt like a good mm. moment. I didn't want to compete mm. against my old company. So I went to a market where there was no page at that time um, because I don't believe in, in just, you know, using... Um, Let's say the information you, you you've acquired yeah. through an employer, yeah. and then using that on the same market against them. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's yeah because they've been know, good just... to you, right? They've they've offered you a fantastic career. So, what were the cultural differences between Michael? I mean, I've come from Michael Page and Robert Waters as as well. So, I, I feel that there are sort of cultural differences. I'm keen to hear your opinion on there. You know, what yeah. what, what did you feel that there that were major differences there? Yeah, I think um, both are based on the same business principles, right? It's specialist yes. recruitment, mid to senior level. Mm-hmm. Fine. I, th- I think commission. Um, yeah, <laughs> is the big exactly. one, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's also um, uh, similarity, mm. um, and it's 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 sometimes hard to compare because it really depends on the local leadership. Um, and I've worked for great um, bosses in in Page. I've mm. worked for fantastic bosses as well in in, in Robert Walters. Mm. So I think it's it's more a, of a human touch point there, uh, in yeah. who you believe that will be your leader. And of course, you should not base your career on just one person that you're going to report into. Yeah. But if you meet a number of senior uh, level people, I think my connection with them was was easier um, mm. compared to. Uh, my previous company um, and I think um, where I did see the difference is that in, in Page the, the, at that time they were hiring a lot of fresh grads um, right. and it was obviously that big machine um, that was yeah. working yeah. Um, very good training kind of uh, churn, very high pace out. very mm. yeah, high mm. sales targets etc yeah. um, but I felt that um, I was you know reaching over 30 um, that Robert Walters was a bit more you know um, mature people on average age i would say um yeah, yeah they have, have, I think have had, a healthy mix don't they there's a healthy mix of young yeah. one coming through but then still being able to retain yeah. people at the mid to senior level for dec- you know over a decade of people that yeah. have been working there yeah. and a lot of people at walters basically come with um industry experience with which i believe is yeah. is, an, is an enormous um plus uh, when you Absolutely. speak to candidates and clients I, I i did not have industry experience as you know <laughs> talking to a candidate in private in the industry about NGO work was not the best pitch you could no, have. But, but I think um, working with people, you see that that complements the team. It, you know, it's a mix. They absolutely. learn from you in, in the regards yep. that you don't necessarily come with. So I think it's a nice complementary of those strengths. Yeah. So 
I would say it's more of a personal thing that I connect better in, into the culture of, of Robert yeah, Walton. I, I say at that. that time when I was younger, yeah. maybe I fitted better into a, a page, which, you know, and, and that, I don't believe there's bad blood between uh, yeah, me or anyone uh, of my yeah. old colleagues. And we're still in touch with, with a lot of people. But, you know, so at some point you, 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 you see something that you're really interested in and, and then you move on. And that's, yeah. you know. That's just how life yeah, works. I, I guess. think I think the leadership team, particularly in Asia, where I've probably got more experience than in the UK or, or Europe, is it's just very down to earth. There's there's no kind of airs and graces. Everyone's got their their purpose. They they collaborate really well, um, and they're just a great bunch of people to hang out with. And so, if there are great people to hang out with and work with, you are going to work hard. You are going to achieve those goals because you're doing it together. I think there's there's some. I mean, you've got some great people within the region that have been there for ages. Um, so I think that says a lot about, I think that says a lot about Robert Walters. Not everyone can achieve that and, and to the scale of that business as well. So accelerating to the present day, you're now managed. Oh no, we're not accelerating because, all right. Yes, we are accelerating. Let me just we double are. check. Cause I want to make sure that I've asked the Thailand piece, which I don't, I'm not sure where it is on mine. So, oh, yes. so talk me through, you got the opportunity to work in Thailand, correct? Was that the opportunity from, from Robert yes, Walters? Exactly. So talk me so through that role Japan, and the opportunity. Thailand. Yeah, I mean, Thailand had, and in those days was, I think, in business for about three years. Um, they were making money. Uh, they were profitable. Uh, there were about 15 uh, fee owners at that time. Um, uh -huh. And basically, they, they wanted me to come in and, and, and build a bit more structured process, good training, good best practices. Right. It was a green field because we were one of the first ones on the market, uh, mm. well, international recruitment companies on mm. the market. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, um, we... We had to, let's say, as as Mark would have called it at that time, uh, clean the decks a bit. Um, yes. In terms yes, of, I, I, I remember uh, the Thailand days before you arrived. Yeah. Yes. So um, <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, so we, there were two ladies that I I, I I felt that had the potential to grow with the company. Okay. Um, and currently, one of them is is a country head, and the other one is a director. Hey, uh, that's awesome. Who's the country head there now then? So it's a lady called Kun Po. Um, okay, we're well, calling out to her. Leader. Awesome. What yes. what was it that you saw in her that has got her to be running? Because I think that's a wonderful story. Um, what was it about her that you identified early on that you could grow and develop to be able to run that business? Yeah, I think um, it's I, I had the luxury of having two potential successors, um, mm -hmm. both of which very talented, very different type of personalities, okay. and they know that, but they're very complimentary. Okay. Um, I think you know. Um, the current country manager is a very smart cookie, uh, very organized, um, very calm um, in, in, a, you know, in situations like we're in now. Mm. Um, if, if you ask me um, through COVID, do you have to worry about Thailand? No, not, I don't lose sleep over Thailand because wow, I know it's unsafe. Awesome. And, what and a it's wonderful that, thing to say. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the, the, the things you need in your job, um, uh -huh. and not only in Thailand, but in other countries as well. I have people in place um, who, who are able to, to navigate through sometimes, you know, gray zones. Um, or, so she's or been able situations. to steady that ship then. So she's been she's been there from consultant or senior consultant all the way up then. And, yeah, she started yeah. as a consultant, um, became manager ADD. Uh, level um, and then you know um, in 2016 I had to do a similar exercise um, in Vietnam so I was double hatting Vietnam and Thailand mm -hmm. and basically the directors at that time really stepped up with the management team uh, because I was spending three to four days in the week uh, in Vietnam 
Vietnam. Um, and, That's and not a bad just, thing, though. You know, I love Vietnam. Grew, you Ho Chi Minh, grew, weren't you? The, yeah, Ho Chi Minh. Yeah. Yeah, and they grew the the office, and, and and they've they've taken so much, let's say, oxygen in the room as directors together. That when I came back to Thailand full time, I felt that oh, <laughs> they're doing everything. Um, That's and, amazing. And, and, which is amazing, and sometimes when you step away, people really step up, and and that was definitely the case, yeah. which I'm I'm very happy with and very proud, and and that's the reason as well. When you know you can build succession planning, um, maybe then it's time for you to do the next step, um, and yeah. that's. I'm very proud of what they've achieved. And so Thailand now has two offices, uh, one in the Eastern Seaboard, uh, which we launched last year. Okay. Um, we have then, of course, a Bangkok office. Um, but it's, it's been an interesting seven years in Thailand. I mean, it was not um Were you there seven free. years? Were you there seven years? I was there years? for seven years. Yeah. Wow. How did you find working and living there? What are the differences between, maybe you know, say India, for instance? Okay. It, it has the, the fun of India. Um, it it has that growing it has definitely a lot of fun uh, people as well um i really connect well with the thai culture um which which is a bit more let's say in the middle between japan and india and it's yeah. uh, from a geographical point of view but also i think from a from a, a country point of view i yeah. think the um, the market is is it's one of these countries where it's you know 65 million people it's it's controllable to grow a business and build a brand in a let's say period of five years time india for example is so big so vast that you know it takes you 10 15 years to build something there oh, um, frustrating. so mm. yeah and it's like china india is 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 you know a, a marathon i would say yeah. um okay in in controllable countries well controllable i mean in terms of establishing yourself as a, as, a, as a player i think five to ten years is is probably the, the right um horizon of time um so yeah i think i think um in thailand we managed to grow that business get a lot of our team that was there from day one uh, into more senior positions um establish a brand name um and we when i left i think we had about 60 fee owners uh, that, in thailand that is incredible that's incredible that's a really great achievement and do you think that you you stretched people into roles you know do you think you kind of put them into roles where they may not have been ready to see how they would perform to get to that level absolutely. in that period of time absolutely i think um uh, one of the good examples is in vietnam where and this is not a secret um adrian was um who runs um yes. our vietnam business yes. now i think he was 29 or 30 when we appointed him to be the country head but he has really? been with us for seven years and he showed yeah. you know yeah most of the dna that you want in the leader yeah um, i see his posts on linkedin he always has these it's 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 just such a massive office now but when, when i left to go to germany it was a small office and when i see the posts from adrian i'm like that is amazing it's yeah. just wonderful to see i mean how big are you over there now how many fianas uh, are you there vietnam now? at the moment uh, 30 plus fianas i i, I lost count somehow <laughs> that's, that's amazing but, um, what a great achievement i mean they, they have not um, reduced headcount um, that much in COVID. Um, we believe there's a, a, a big opportunity to keep growing there. Um, I think as most companies, we, we just had to look at a few few key choices of you know where, yeah. where we're going to invest in uh, yeah. in the future when we come out of this. Um, but no, the, the team has been uh, doing well. Um, I think we've, again, have grown a lot of local talent into leadership roles now um, and, and finding that balance between yeah, I think where you inject leadership and, and, and where you grow local leadership. Um, have you always... seen? Have you seen? Um, have you seen people from your Thailand and Vietnam offices looking to move elsewhere? Have you done that? Have you been able to move people? Or absolutely, yeah. Um, 
and we've, I mean, we have um, global mobility, of course. We, for example, in Thailand, we have uh, Peter who comes from our Japan office. We have Gokyun and Aaron who come from our KL office. So that were okay. the inbound moves. We had then Eric who came from Paris to Thailand and is now uh, went after that to Manila, now country head in Indonesia. Gosh. Wow. Um, so, um, so it's often yeah, those I mean, international careers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not for everyone. Um, and, you know, so, some people are more mobile than others and, and other yeah, people true. have responsibilities. And in Thailand, a lot of the responsibility falls on the family. Um, so trying to get um, th- our Thai talent out of the country is, is not an easy exercise. Okay, and, interesting. interesting. Um, but we, we try. Um, so, um, yeah, definitely. I, you know, if anything in my career, um, I have learned that moving abroad or doing something different definitely makes you richer as a professional, as a, yeah. as a human being, I think. Yeah. Um, and I want to offer that same opportunity to others as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I'll always push people to, if they want that, um, to, to look at that. And um, I've it. asked many I people. I think that's fantastic. Otherwise, I, I got a yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, that's, I think that's great. I think it's nice for people that they have those opportunities. So balancing all stakeholders within a business, you know, is often um, stated to be key. I'd be interested to understand how you grapple with different elements such as shareholders, employees and market realities. Um, yeah, so it's 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 an interesting one in Southeast Asia because you you work in six different countries with very different realities. Um, if you look at it um, in Thailand, it's it's Buddhism uh, driven in society with you know obviously um, a strong uh, it's a strong kingdom. Um, yeah. In in Indonesia, then you go into a different type of culture. Uh, Vietnam as well. Philippines is then one of the most Catholic countries in the world with very passionate and and and, and emotional people. Um, and you know, it's 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 finding that balance between cultures is is definitely the one that you need to juggle a bit. Um, the next one is, of course, in my current role, yeah, share, um, different type of um, uh, stakeholders internally. Um, so we have at the moment, mm. of course, the countries, the front office, but also the business partnering functions for the region. Um, mm. And how do you uh, make sure that they add the most value to the business? Um, yeah. So it's often about communicating over communicating in times of covid i would say so making sure that um everybody understands what how they can add value in an let's say incremental change way not revolutionizing everything um but um i think often where you get blockages in companies is because there's a lack of understanding for what the other does or Mm. uh, not seeing their point of view and often Mm. my job is to unlock that and and put people around the table or um i'll point out what what's you know how, how are we going to move forward and what's our mutual goal here um i think also at the moment uh, one of my main uh, things is and naturally i have that a bit is uh, optimism um trying yeah. to keep the smile um yeah. people suffer at the moment and and for yeah. for, for many reasons whether mm. that's you know working from home family pressure um you know financial burdens or risks um so i i definitely get that um you know, um, from my point of view, I, I, I have a, a quite optimistic view. Uh, some people might call it naive, but uh, I definitely think we're going to come out of this uh, stronger. Good. Thank you for answering that. If I if I canvassed your direct reports, how would how would they describe your leadership skills? You know, what are some of the things that they'd like to keep, add or drop? Did you ask them? Did, you've seen you've seen this question before. So did you ask them before you were? Absolutely. So I did a 360 um, just oh, before you? I started oh. yeah, uh, this job. So I think it's um, that, you know, you, you understand what people uh, or their perception of you. Um, with some of those people in 360, I've worked for seven years. Um, with other people, I have worked remotely. So, for example, um, the regional team in Singapore. 
where you had certain touch points. So obviously people always have a different perception of who you really are when they start working more um, closer together. So in terms of what they would keep, probably the, the level of care, uh, the, the passion, uh, my optimism, um, and my nice. keen interest in, in, in people who I work with. Um, nice. I think what they would add is asking me to sometimes step back a bit more and let them do their jobs and, <laughs> you know, trust that they will get it sorted. Um, yeah. And that, you know, it's, is that control? Yes. To a certain extent. <laughs> is it, is it willing to help them as Does well and support care? them? It's, it's a fine balance. Yeah. And yeah. I think everybody yeah. who's in leadership positions understands that. And then probably drop is uh, my uh, level of detail. Um, right. You said and, you're analytical before, right? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and sometimes what people, um, well, perception of reality, of course, is is that if if you don't know me that well um, and over distance, I might come across as slightly arrogant, um, which hurts me. Um, and I, I don't think perceive people that would at say, all. That's one thing I yeah. would not I would not perceive from the interactions I've had with you. Actually, so that's yeah. interesting. I don't know, um, but but it, it, it's not the first time I hear that in my life, um, and I, I I'm desperate to get rid of it. But <laughs> you've got rid of it um, now. You've said it. You've said it on air. <laughs> it's off my off my chest now. Um, but no, that's 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 sometimes you know you need to be honest on on how people perceive you and, yeah, and whether absolutely. that's correct or not. Um, mm this is what you need to change as, yeah, a, as a leader. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Perception um, can be reality, that's, that's right? Yeah. Can, uh, so you've got to change, change that, that in their mindsets. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was really wonderfully, um, wonderfully put. How do you go about developing yourself as a leader? Because, you are you know, you're looking after a massive portfolio. So talk me through how you go, how you continually develop yourself. Yeah. Um, First and foremost is there's the our internal talent development, which we have invested in a lot um, mm-hmm. in the past few years. And I think as a company, um, it's it's important that, you know, at leadership positions, you, you have that support internally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, for example, the 360, the, yeah. the side conversations, the one-on-one coaching definitely happens yeah. uh, within our, our organization. Um, and it's led by Indy, who um, has a very strong team and, 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 and they do a fantastic job there. I think... Um, Often I ask my boss, look, I haven't had a formal uh, appraisal in, in years, but week on week it's, okay, what can we do better um, as a, yeah. as a yeah, let's say more regular continuous development? Right. Um, and that happens with uh, my boss, Toby. Um, yeah. And then this year, um, by accident, I would say I, I actually started um, working with a personal coach, so outside of work, okay. um, which I think is is – the first time in my life that I do this um, reasons being a, probably because I know the person uh, from, from my past um, and, and Anne, who's my coach, she, um, she d- recently started doing uh, a coaching degree. She's a very smart person. She's an engineer by trade, but developed her whole life uh, in a different angle, a bit like yourself, I, I would say, Andrea. Yeah. Um, and then um, she was looking for victims um, to start coaching <laughs> with. Um, and uh, basically, um, yeah, I jumped on the on the opportunity because I felt that there were certain points where I needed to understand more. Mm. Um, mm. I don't want to discuss everything with your boss directly. Um, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and I think having someone external, I would imagine, gives you that ability to be quite vulnerable and open without having yeah. to feel judged or, or, you know, not that you're going to be judged if you were to do that with your boss, but just able to just completely let yourself go and, and talk things through because it's all that reflection point then that time to do that means that you can learn and and, and focus on certain behaviors or yeah. whatever your goals you're looking to achieve 
And it started. It started with uh, work, talking about work, and you know, um, my challenges, my personal goals, etc. But you know, mm. they intertwine. Over though, time, right? <laughs> you, you talk about family. You talk about you know your history, your parents, your your influencers. Um, it's yeah. it's all about learning to understand yourself better. Yeah. Um, and she has. She was a roommate actually of of my wife um, about ten years ago. So she knows so your she, wife. She knows the problems I'm having at home. <laughs> God, she's probably the most most powerful woman in the world right now for you, isn't Absolutely. she? Absolutely. I yeah, think no. it's important to have, um, and I'm not trying to do a plug here. Is if I was whether I was coaching or not, it wouldn't make a difference with my opinion on it. I think when I took a coach at Robert Waters, it was an external. She was a coach, but she was ex-banking, and it was just so useful to be able to have someone replay back what you, you know, reframe, reframe certain elements and go, okay, yeah, I don't quite think of it that way. Um, and I think sometimes when you're deep in it from a work perspective, it's very hard. You don't always take yourself out to either analyze a problem or a situation. Um, and I think having an hour, an hour and a half with someone every month to do that. And I do that with emerging leaders of quite a few recruitment firms and quite a lot of ladies that are moving up to country head roles. And it's just, it's coaching slash training because it's kind of, yes, but Andrew, just tell me what I, you know, tell me a little bit more about how to do employment engagement. Tell me, you know, so it tends to be a bit of a mix, but I think it's finding someone that you click with, you trust, that can give you a different perspective. It's not all the qualifications in the world of coaching. It's good they have a coaching background or they're certified in it, but also it's that click that, you know, you know, what they, they, they get me. Um, and I think whether that's a husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, friend, professional coach or not, having that opportunity once a month to just talk things through, reflect is just so useful. I think we need that balance in our lives because it's just too fast. Um, yeah. So I'm an absolute advocate. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. And I'm glad it's yeah. working out really well. Um, what are the elements for you of a successful team? Because obviously you've managed a number of teams. You're currently managing a number of teams across the region. What are the elements for you that really makes it a high performing one? Yeah, I think, you know, skills is something you can teach people. Um, and, and, you know, you see their learning agility if they pick it up in recruitment or not. I think the will part, the, the, the passion, the drive, the, you know, it's not an easy job, right? No. Um, and to no. do it for, for a long period of time, you need, you need some level of resilience. Um, mm. And it all comes from willpower and, and how to mm. drive and motivate people. Um, mm. I think, like we said before, um, putting people in jobs a bit earlier than they're actually ready for, mm. um, which is a bit of a, a gamble, but if it, it can be a calculated bet, um, I would say. Um, but I, I enjoy seeing that happening. Um, I think Robert and- Waters can accommodate that, though. I think sometimes if you were doing it in a smaller organization where they may not have the processes, the experience, other people to lean in onto, it could be a bit of a challenge. There's probably more risk. But within an environment like Robert Waters, it's probably not so much of a gamble, right? Mm. Yeah. And especially, I would say, between that 18 months to 24 months where people start to know how to recruit, what's next? Yeah. Uh, that's the question we get. Yeah. And, especially for the millennials. Know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's next? What's and, next? What's next? You know, yeah. and, and if I'm not a millennial, um, I had that as well. <laughs> so I think it's across generations. But, uh, you know, mm, keeping true. them challenged, keeping them sharp, mm. seeing it the other way, if you explain it to somebody else you, you might learn again um on on, on recruitment and, and reflect there so i'm 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 a quite um big um supporter of, of of starting coaching fairly early in in a controlled environment of course with still a manager around um but um it, it needs to happen uh, for people who are interested in, in in that people management aspect in recruitment mm, absolutely now what what's the one misconception misconception 
about working at Robert Waters that you want to debunk? <laughs> Look, in my career, I've I've mostly kept my eyes on the prize, which is building our business and not um, going outside. I <laughs> rarely meet with, um, let's say, my, my co-colleagues. Um, and I understand that, of course, in, in the local market here in Singapore, that happens more than often. Yeah, but in absolutely. Thailand, there was only one or two people that I could actually really? reach out to. Us. Well, yeah, I mean, I met the, 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 the country head of Page and the, the, the guys from Argyle Scott. But, you know, apart from that, there was not too much crossover right. between businesses. Here's a bit different, right? You must be happy to yeah. be here now because there's so, a little bit more social. I mean, for, to debunk the myth, um, uh, I've read the, the Glassdoor reviews. I look at exit interviews. Oh, um, what is the what is the the mutual consensus here? Um, I would say, um, yeah. What is the, it's hard for me to really answer that. I've oh, been on the ground on. here no, for four months. No, come on, you can't get out of it. You can't get out of that one. No, you got to answer that one. Don't give me a political. Don't give me a politically correct answer on that one. It's it's very hard to say, Andrea. I'm, I'm really happy to share. Too structured sometimes too structured, too KPI-orientated, yeah. uh, too big, um, not flexible. Yeah, I, th I think flexibility is going to go out the window soon um, <laughs> um, with the whole COVID situation. We're looking at the moment in, into, you know, smart offices, of course, um, like most companies, but actually our leases up in Singapore. And the question is, why do we need two massive boardrooms and and, <gasps> and Wow. Of course, the, that whole floor. Um, and it's about how can we facilitate and we're doing service with the employees. Where do you see yourself working at the moment? And um, I must say that if, if you look at the norm curve between working one day or five days at the office, yeah. um, a majority actually wants to work <coughs> four days or more at the office still. That is really interesting. Fascinating, I'm yeah. really fascinated because I've heard yeah. other surveys that have gone out, but, but the boutique ones um yep. where they would prefer to do you know like you know a couple of days in the office but the rest at home more days in the office if they're meeting colleagues yep. and it's the start of the week or the end of the week for the wrap but actually the rest they'd really prefer to be at home so that's yep. really interesting but actually if you look at it we, one of the the big values that we we have is teamwork um and i think you know if if you're working more in a let's say a pure commission house structure where actually you know true. that information that you need from your colleagues is not necessary or that's very very true because your team bonus verticals. pool yeah yeah that's exactly. very true so yeah. and 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 also you know we, we we have a lot of let's say less experienced recruiters and they want to learn from the more experienced recruiters um and you know obviously the office culture is, is a big one as well. Um, so that's that value. They, they, so I was surprised value um, in, 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 in a pleasant way because, yeah, yeah. Too structured. Yeah, I mean, we, we are very structured. It has its, its advantages, I would say. Yeah, it's robust. Uh, it's, it's, I agree. Everything has, is ready. Um, yeah. I, I sometimes speak to, to, you know, less organized environments or smaller companies and obviously they don't have that infrastructure and they say, you know, when, when you move from a, a very organized environment into a smaller environment, you will get frustrated by well, why is this not done and, you know. Um, yes, and often we, have to we do had it, it with Neil, Di Neil Dibble who, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, but he did a podcast with me. So he'd gone from Robert Walters to Oh God, I don't know, talent to Allegis. Um, and, and he was just struck. He, I mean, he wasn't particularly structured at Robert Waters. He was quite laid back, highly performing um, consultant and manager, but he was way more, you know, he was pretty laid back. And so he was, he, he was quite surprised that he needed that structure. He didn't realize how important it was when it went and, and he could see it quite clearly that it wasn't there than other places. So it's interesting, isn't it? 
Um, yeah. But the reason it's there is not to, you know, be a, uh, a slow organization. It's really facilitating that front office um, mm. fee earners can focus on what they need to be doing mm. and then the rest of their worries is taken care of. Yeah. Now, and, and you know, I hear a lot of people who have left Page or, you know, Walters and they say, wow, you know, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of support that we didn't realize that we had yeah. Um, yeah. or things that were going on in the background that is automated, etc. And yeah, okay, well, you know, there's a plus and negative on everything, right? No, um, I, I mean, God, I spent 13 years there. So look, I, you know, I, 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 I can't certainly sit here and say negatives because I was there for absolutely ages. I loved working there. But I think for people that, I think for recruitment firms that are hiring ex-Robert Walters or ex-Michael Page, be wary or be careful in the regard that there is a lot of support and, um, and you've got to make sure when you're interviewing that, that, you know just checking those skills and capabilities because i think you do have to be very wary when you're going into more boutique it may be a little bit more resourceful you have to be a bit more resourceful you might not yeah. have all of that support so yeah, and i'm know, sure people aware, can adapt yeah people can adapt to that yeah um, absolutely it's, it's it's not a given but yeah it's 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 realization that often people have yeah i just want to, I just want to go into the market side actually what you know which areas under your remit have proved to be quite fragile during covid and which ones have been fairly robust um well I think everybody answers the same way here. Um, now, obviously, the, the the advantage we have is that we're spread over six markets um, yeah. with each different and various speeds. So, if you look at it from a spectrum where it's going okay at the moment, is is basically the countries that can work from back into the office, which is Vietnam, Thailand, and uh, and uh, Malaysia. Um, right. I would say that Indo and 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 Manila. Um, well, you know, there's a lot of up and downs and restrictions and working from home and oh, really? back and forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, okay. and, and and it doesn't give the market confidence at the moment to to push the the gas on, on recruitment, basically. Okay. Um, okay. So, and, and, and it goes up and down. Uh, but Singapore, obviously, has is, is, is been hurt. But obviously, we have a lot of government support here. Yeah. Um, we have a yeah. fairly strong TEM book uh, that's, that's holding us afloat. Um, so Thank God for the TEM book. Say, Yes, exactly, and and you know um, where does it hurt? Retail, um, it yeah. hurts in in projects that companies wanted to set up. It hurts where you know companies can skip certain investments. Um, so it's it's your classic one. Where does it move forward? Is probably more on the on the digital side, on yeah. the you know food. Um, so I think if you think logically, you will know where where the yeah. problem gaps it. Yeah. Um, so nutrition as well is seeming to be sort of moving as well yeah. in that direction. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so we've got the last quick fire questions, which are going to be around. I'm going to I'm going to put this in five minutes, so I may not ask all of them. So this is my kind of new question rounds at the end of a podcast, just to keep everyone all entertained and get to know you a little bit more. So. Here we go. What's the best career advice you've received from someone you respect and what was it? Okay, so um, it was advice from my first manager in Page who said, look, um, if you uh, go to the door at the end of the day after working, uh, there's a first question you need to ask yourself. Did I give it 100% yes or no? If it's no, go back to your desk and start and start over and finish your work. Jesus. Then... When you like move it. into the elevator, you shake your head left like this and you shake your head right like this <laughs> and you shake off all the stress, all the thoughts and all the conversation with cancer clients because I don't want you to dream about, you know, deals going missing yeah, and, done it. and yeah. clients disappearing. So I love um, that. That should be on a plaque. I, I the the balance that. was very good. 
I would say another one he said, um, the first three months in your career at a company and the last three months are super important. So the first three months, because people are going to look at you, look at your attitude um, and, and how you behave within the company and they will have a, a judgment on you. So that's important. The last three months is how people will remember you. So if you do oh, a bad exit that. or you, you know, blow up bridges and become arrogant or, yeah. you know, just sit I back and relax that. until the last day, yeah. people don't like that. And that's how you will be remembered. Um, I so love I think that. He, he I was think a wise you need man. to put those on plaques. I think they need to be outside the offices. I I, I love those. I, I, yeah, I, but I my boss was Dutch, and I'm not going to give him that honor as a Belgian. <laughs> <laughs> Evil. Love it. Love those two. What's a skill that you have which other people will find surprising but has been very useful to you in your career? Um, I think um, I understand legal uh, quite well. Okay. Enjoy it. You um, just enjoy that side. You're passionate about that. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's not something I su- I enjoy, but I, I'm 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 quite quick with. Um, so Van Dana must love you then in the office. Van, then, Van right? and me have a good connection. Yes. Was <laughs> 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 all corporate uh, lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. What's the best thing that's happened to you this year? Oh well, it's going to happen. Um, tomorrow um we have our second daughter being born uh, well i hope everything's going to go well yes it will um, yes it will if if i if i go back in time i would say the moment my pregnant wife and daughter walked into uh, the airport um after having missed flights um due to covid situation um and we, we wasn't quite sure if she would be able to make it um so on that day there was nine flights going from bangkok to singapore and there were eight cancelled and one was not cancelled. And that was the one they were. Oh, I've got watery eyes now. So that oh, was, don't um, get me going on that, that one. That was a scary moment Ooh. because, uh, you know, if you look at it now, I could not have been at the delivery in Bangkok if she oh would have stayed gosh. back. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, someone yep. was looking down on you. Someone was looking. You've done good things oh, in yes. your life. Someone, someone was looking down <laughs> on you on that one. Um, what are you currently worried about? It might connect to the same thing that's happening tomorrow. But <laughs> yeah, uh, in the short term, yes. Um, what am I worried about? I, I don't naturally worry that much, uh, to be honest. Um, I do worry about parents um, in Europe um, and not being able to go back if needed. Um, yeah. And, and, and them not seeing uh, our next uh, or the next grandchild. So that's more on a personal level. Yeah. On a business level, look, um, it's going to be a rough six to eight 12 months probably still ahead of us when this will pass i think uh, recruitment will accelerate faster than the economy um, and i'm really looking forward to that moment i'm grateful to a certain extent that a a crisis has hit this generation of recruiters that we work with yeah because they're gonna go stronger they have sharpened their bd skills uh, their connectivity with clients candidates how to switch from sometimes very uh, strong growing markets such as vietnam indo to now oh, wow, this is really happening. Um, yeah, the job yeah. flow is not there. What do we do next? Yeah. And I need that. I need, I need people to have that versatility um, to, to go, um, if needed, go very strong on, on, on commercial or yeah, in good times, um, make sure that we, we, we focus on, on different things such as candidate care, candidate experience. So I am optimistic. Um, and Not much not of a quick fire around that one, was it? That was so not a quick fire. It was a good answer, but it was definitely not a quick fire. You cracked me up. I'm sorry. Right. What habit do you have now that you wish you'd started much earlier? Um, organization skills, um, okay. time management, um, forcing your calendar to um, run you, basically. Last question. What excites you right now in your career? The unknown, I would say. Um, the where is this going to go? Um, 
yeah, it's nice to have a stable growing business, etc. Um, but I think I, I perform quite well in crisis situations. Um, and that excites me. Um, it keeps me um, all my adrenaline levels up. Uh, and that's uh, definitely, uh, you know, what, what sometimes drives you in work as well, but not for too long. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed it. So for, for me, not having met you before, I feel I've learned a lot about you, your leadership style, what you're doing over at Robert Waters. It's wonderful. Um, for anyone that's listening to the show that wants to contact Garrett because they want to go and work for him, um, contact um, Garrett. I'll put it in the show notes, but I imagine it would be garrett.bucard at robertwaters.com.sg. Would that be right? Or dot com? Dot com dot sg com.sg okay um so please contact him if you would like to get in contact for everyone listening um please share the podcast so that everybody can listen and um have a great day you have been listening to talent talk asia podcast by the career establishment to learn more about the career establishment our people and our latest thinking visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on linkedin Twitter and Facebook.